1: For 10 weeks, the House Intelligence Committee gathered facts in the impeachment case. Lawmakers issued subpoenas and pored over documents. They heard over a hundred hours of testimony behind closed doors and in the glare of TV cameras.
0: And today, good morning. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced, Democrats are ready to move ahead with articles of impeachment. The President leaves us no choice but to act because he is trying to corrupt, once again, the election for his own benefit.
1: Pelosi and her fellow Democrats are making their argument based on just a few words in the Constitution — high crimes and misdemeanors. They argue that President Trump's actions meet that standard. Their Republican counterparts disagree. —
0: Today on the show, how both parties are using the Constitution to argue opposite sides of the impeachment case. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knutson,
1: And I'm Kate Linebaugh. It's Thursday, December 5th. Siobhan Hughes has been covering Congress for 10 years. She's never been busier than she is right now, dealing with the challenges you'd expect, like Constant breaking news out of Chairman Adam Schiff's intelligence committee and other challenges, maybe less expected.
0: The skiff, where a lot of the closer depositions have been happening, mm-hmm. is really cold. Apparently, Adam Schiff has had problems with temperature control. Literally, like literally, like if he (laughs) turns off, no, no, not figuratively too. Actually, there's a good metaphor in this. But when he turns down the temperature, it gets overheated, and there are no windows in that room, and so it's actually started to smell. And so then, when he turns the air conditioning back on, everybody freezes.
1: The impeachment inquiry moved this week to the House Judiciary Committee's hearing room. And if lawmakers were hoping a change of venue would help with the cold, it didn't. By the way, just for the information, Ms. Chairman, this is the coldest hearing room. <laughs> the action shifted to the House Judiciary Committee because this is where the articles of impeachment will be written. Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler kicked things off yesterday by holding a hearing on how the Constitution defines an impeachable offense.
0: So yesterday... The House Committee on the Judiciary will come to order. We were taken through a lesson in constitutional law, specifically going through the definition of what constitutes an impeachable offense, including... Today we will begin our conversation where we should, with the text of the Constitution. What are high crimes and misdemeanors? It's not necessarily an easy task because... Most people think of malfeasance or wrongdoing as something that involves a violation of an actual law, and we are in totally different territory right now. We are talking about a constitutional violation, and that's something that the public has not thought a lot about, and that can be hard to get your head around.
1: The Constitution says that Congress may remove a president from office in cases of, quote, treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Is it a legal phrase? Where does it come from?
0: So high crimes and misdemeanors is a broad phrase, and it's an intentionally broad phrase. It has its roots in England, in the English parliamentary system. The phrase makes a jump across the
1: pond during the American Constitutional Convention where the founders struggled to define all the things that might be bad enough to remove a president from office.
0: And they started narrow. And what they came up with was treason or bribery. And George Mason piped up and said, treason or bribery, well, that's not sufficient. There are a lot of things a president could do for which you would want to remove him from office that aren't covered by just treason or bribery. So they go broader. And so— They initially insert the phrase maladministration and say, well, maybe maladministration. And another founding father pipes up and says, maladministration, wow, the Senate then would essentially be in charge of the presidency because it would be way too easy to impeach a president for maladministration. And so what they eventually come up with is high crimes and misdemeanors. And what did this phrase mean to them at that time? It meant to them what it means today, and it gets articulated by Alexander Hamilton, actually, in Federalist Paper 65. And what it means is a specific type of abuse that's not a violation of a criminal statute, but it's a violation by a holder of a very high public office, and involves a crime against the people. If you think of this in terms of Goldilocks, High Crimes and Misdemeanors
1: was just right. It was broad and also serious enough not to be abused. But there was always a squishiness to it. It wasn't as clear-cut as breaking a law. As Hamilton himself recognized, impeachment was inherently political
0: because it is carried out by a government official. It's really unique to a government official. And it's a situation in which this person has exceeded the bounds of his office.
1: And why did Alexander Hamilton write this down in Federalist Paper 65?
0: The Federalist Papers were, I guess you could say, a marketing tool. The ways they explained their ideas and sought to encourage states to ratify the Constitution. And also a big moment in the musical, Hamilton. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That
1: early debate by the founders about what should be considered impeachable is kind of still going on more than 200 years later. Experts still wrestle with when and how that standard should be applied. And that was on full display yesterday in the Judiciary Committee when the committee called a panel of experts to testify.
0: Now, we welcome all our distinguished witnesses. We thank them for participating in today's hearing. Now, if you would please rise, I will begin by swearing you in. So there were four witnesses at the hearing. Three of them were requested by Democrats, and one was requested by the Republican. The three Democratic witnesses include a North Carolina law professor named Michael Gerhardt. It's an honor and a privilege
1: ...to join the other distinguished witnesses to discuss a matter of grave concern...
0: ...who, during the Bill Clinton impeachment, was the only bipartisan witness. He was called by both sides. They included a Stanford University law professor... Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, thank you so much for the opportunity
1: to testify.
0: ...named Pamela Carlin, and then a Harvard University law professor named Noah Feldman. Thank you very much for the opportunity to appear... And the
1: Republicans also called a witness, right?
0: Yeah, Jonathan Turley is a professor at George Washington Law School. It's an honor to appear before you today. And he is interesting because from the outset, he casts himself as somebody who's not a fan of President Trump. He out-and-out states that he didn't vote for Donald Trump in 2016. He parts from Republicans in saying that the president's call with the Ukrainian leader was not perfect. And so he establishes himself as someone who in theory should have credibility with Democrats because he's saying, I'm not a partisan. Did a
1: definition of high crimes and misdemeanors emerge?
0: All the witnesses were really circling around the same argument. The words high
1: crimes and misdemeanors refer to abuse of the office of the presidency for personal advantage or to corrupt the electoral process or to subvert the national security of the United States.
0: And so I don't think there's any question about the general definition of a high crime and misdemeanor. There probably is a question about whether it applies in President Trump's case.
1: And that's the big question facing members of the House. How the expert witnesses answered that question after the break. This episode is brought to you by AARP. They have reskilling courses and career tools to help your income live as long as you do. The younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Welcome back. Because of a move by Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler, a New York Democrat, the Judiciary Committee will not be able to look at new evidence as part of their hearings. And this was something that Republican ranking member Doug Collins objected to in yesterday's hearing.
0: Put witnesses in here that they can be fact witnesses who can be
1: actually cross-examined. That's fairness, and every attorney on this panel knows that. This is a sham. Because there won't be new fact witnesses, Republicans and Democrats will be basing their decision about whether Trump committed High Crimes and Misdemeanors, Primarily on a Single Document, a report written by Democrats from Adam Schiff's House Intelligence Committee. Now, when we last spoke ahead of the public hearings, you said the onus was on Adam Schiff, the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, to craft a narrative and make it understandable. Do you think he achieved that?
0: He really tells a very direct story, one that's more understandable in the report than... It was from hearing fragmented testimony. So each little detail that came out of the witness testimony is integrated into a narrative whole.
1: And what is the narrative in the Democrats' report?
0: The Democrats describe a months-long campaign to pressure Ukraine to announce investigations into Joe Biden, which could hurt Joe Biden politically in 2020. It starts with an effort to oust the ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch. It carries through to President Trump's direct request of Ukraine to open the investigation. It finally ends when it comes to light in late August that the military aid to Ukraine has been withheld. And then from Democrats' perspective, once Donald Trump is caught, the military aid gets released in early September. And so there's a very clear narrative arc to this, the crime followed by the cover-up.
1: At yesterday's hearing, it was clear that the three witnesses called by Democrats found that story compelling. Let me be clear that on its own, soliciting the leader of a foreign government in order to announce investigations of political rivals and perform those investigations would constitute a high crime and misdemeanor. Imagine living in a part of Louisiana or Texas that's prone to devastating hurricanes and flooding. What would you think if you lived there and your governor asked for a meeting with the president to discuss getting disaster aid that Congress has provided for, what would you think if that president said, I would, like to do you, I would like you to do us a favor? I'll meet with you, and I'll send the disaster relief once you brand my opponent a criminal. Wouldn't you know in your gut that such a president had abused his office? If what we're talking about is not impeachable, then nothing is impeachable.
0: The Democrats' witnesses were 100 percent certain that Trump's actions were impeachable and, moreover, argued that, in fact, it was important to act expeditiously because what was at stake was interference in the 2020 election. And Turley, the Republican's
1: witness, what was his call? Did he say this was impeachable or not impeachable?
0: He testified that Democrats' had not gathered enough evidence on which to impeach the president and that they needed to be careful.
1: This is a facially incomplete and inadequate record in order to impeach a
0: president. They were at risk of lowering the standard for impeachment and essentially making future presidents much easier to impeach, which, he argued, would upend the entire American system.
1: Will a slipshod impeachment make us less mad? Will it only invite an invitation for the madness to follow every future administration? That is why this is wrong.
0: He said Democrats were rushing the process, that essentially they were engaged in what he labeled an impulse by, that Democrats needed to give the process time to play out. More information, in fact, would be available should the courts rule that certain witnesses have to testify to Congress or that departments like the State Department have to turn over documentation. And he argued Democrats were proceeding with with an incomplete record, and in doing so, were engaged in their own abuse of power. It is an abuse of power. It's your abuse of power.
1: You're doing precisely what you're criticizing the president for doing. Some of Turley's points Republicans have made themselves in their own report released earlier this week. The Republicans drafted their so-called minority report, looking at the very same facts and testimony as the Democrats'. But the story the Republican report tells is pretty much the polar
0: opposite. The conclusion that Republicans come to is that Democrats have not proved their case. They simply haven't gathered enough evidence to justify accusing President Trump of an abuse of power. Republicans also say that Donald Trump's stance towards Ukraine was entirely appropriate, They use the word hesitation. They say Donald Trump's hesitation in agreeing to a White House meeting or supplying military aid was understandable because he was concerned about corruption in Ukraine. And what the Republicans are saying is similar to what
1: Trump has said. Trump described that July call with the Ukrainian president as perfect. So how is Donald Trump reacting to this
0: new phase of the impeachment process? Donald Trump has, as you can imagine, not been very happy.
1: What they're doing is a very bad thing for our country. It's of no
0: merit. He has, again, called this a hoax. It's a hoax.
1: It's a total hoax. We had a great call.
0: And has been tweeting up a storm. And when we spoke,
1: I think in September, back when Nancy Pelosi had just announced the impeachment inquiry— And you talked at that time very somberly about how serious this moment is for the Republic. As this process grinds on, do you think that the political theater of the moment is at risk of overtaking these bigger, more fundamental questions?
0: The political theater is always at risk of overtaking the bigger, more fundamental questions that, in fact, is something that Alexander Hamilton discusses in his Federalist 65 paper. And he had pinned his hopes on the Senate, saying the Senate was really the place where cooler minds would prevail. I do wonder whether or not the sense of the Senate as the cooling saucer, the place where grand issues were debated, really stands up was really a correct prediction. The Senate has become just as politicized as the House, and so it might be hard to clear through all the brush of the political rhetoric to really get at the underlying facts in a serious and independent-minded way.
1: The House Judiciary Committee will hold its next hearing on Monday. House Democrats' goal is to impeach the president before Christmas. The case would then go to the Senate for a trial. That's all for today, Thursday, December 5th.
0: The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal.
1: If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. We come out every weekday afternoon.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.